Have you ever awoken to find yourself back home? You turned the corner and you crossed a river and there it was, familiar. After months and months and months and months and months and months and months of travel now, changed, you changed, but still the same. You changed, home changed, home is still the same and it all it all looks familiar but it's unfamiliar this town and you've you have these things like you've made along the way these creative things and your tribe are traveling with you and and and, and some of the people that you meet back home some of these people they're proud of you like your dad comes and he greets you and he and he's beaming but your brother doesn't come he won't speak to you and your sister she she still thinks you're an idiot for, for taking this journey but she takes some time and she sees how you have changed. And your mum, well, she's just glad to see you again. And so there you stay, at home. And there you grow. And you travel again when the time's right. You enter the marketplaces of the villages around and you go further still and you come back sometimes. And the people, they know your name in these places where you travel, not because of your fame, they know the name of someone they can trust. They know you're someone that they can trust and someone who listens and someone who helps them. Someone who creates and gives gifts to the people. So you stay at home and you travel and you come back home and you stay at home and you travel and you come back home and sometimes you even travel far enough that that the ocean greets you again. And you come back sometimes to an island with a cave and a labyrinth and you travel and you search and you grow and you come back home and you stay home for a while and you travel and you search and you grow and you come home and you travel and you search and you grow and you come home and through all of this you are becoming you are becoming who you are meant to be till one day you look back with grey hair and wet cheeks (laughs) and you survey the path that you have walked, and the friends that you have met, the way that the lives were changed, the way that you were changed by them. And it all feels worthwhile. And you doubt it sometimes, of course, but now it all feels worth it. The journeys you have gone on, the home you have come back to changed. It's worth it, friends. It's worth it and it is worthwhile. So welcome, friends, to the final episode of Season 3 of the Deep Place Podcast. Welcome home. Friends, you are listening to season three of the Deep Place podcast. And in this season, we are going on a journey, the creative journey. My name's Joel McCarrow, and I'll be somewhat of a guide through the strange and wild lands that make up our creative worlds. So would you take my hand, shake the dust, pick up your packs, and let's go. The Deep Place podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people, of the Kulin Nations, a land that was stolen. As a podcast, we pay our respects to the traditional custodians and storytellers of this land. And we thank Aunty Di Kerr for her blessing to tell stories and poetry on this land. Friends, 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 welcome to the final episode of season three of the Deep Place podcast. Gosh, we have gone on a journey, haven't we? We have gone on a journey and now we are coming home again. And we're going to talk a whole lot about the coming home and how to do that well during this episode. For now, as we start, I just want to finish up this season kind of by saying 
thank you. First of all, thank you to all you who have listened through this season. It's been a bit of an experiment to go to to take a whole season and create one big long narrative arc that has held the whole season together. And I've loved it. I've really loved bringing this together for you guys. And I hope that you feel that sense that you've gone on a journey with me. I feel like we've gone on a journey together. Uh, and I've heard from so many people throughout the season uh, of these the different moments that have moved them. And I've loved that it's been different episodes, different parts of the journey that people just needed to hear at just that right time. I just... I love that stuff and I love, so thank you. And please do continue to share with me, continue to, um, to go to like the iTunes and the Spotify's and write write the reviews for this, for the Deep Place podcast. That will be so helpful uh, as well for you to do. But sincerely, thank you for allowing me, giving me the space in your life to hopefully take you that step forward on your journey and that step deeper into who you are. And may you continue to do that. I'll most likely do a fourth season of the podcast. Give me a break for six months or a year or something. At some at some point, the podcast will come back in with a fourth season, I'm sure. But for now, may your, may your creative journey as you listen to this Coming Home episode, may it be uh, stoked and stirred and, and may you feel that inspiration to keep on going. Um, I, I as well just need to say a huge, huge, huge thank you uh, to the person who has bought so much of this together with me. Rochelle Bourne, you are an anchor in my life in so many different ways. Rochelle Bourne, you would have heard her one of the episodes of the podcast she was on, uh, I think, last season. Rochelle is one of my dearest, closest friends for many, many years. And Rochelle has been producing, engineering this podcast this season. So all the beautiful music and transitions and all the all the cutting out, all the times I say, um, uh, um, da, da, dum, 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 ah, uh, all the things Rochelle has to put up with me, it's quite incredible. So thank you, Rochelle. Uh, and anyone else who's looking for someone to bring podcast production, you should have a chat to Rochelle Bourne because she does a stunning, stunning job. Thank you so much for making this podcast come alive this season with me. It's been beautiful. Um, just to finish this season as well, I need to say, please do go and check it. I've got a whole bunch of stuff that has come out recently that I'd love you to get on board with. I released a poetry book called Even Lost Things Glow recently uh, and also an improv poetry album that I talked about a few episodes ago with Chelsea McGow. Go and have a look at joelmacero.com. I'm also doing a whole lot of kind of keynote speaking, corporate keynote speaking, uh, as well as all the school stuff that I normally do. If you're looking for a performer, um, for a, a speaker on creativity to come and chat to your staff team, Team, at retreats, at whatever it might be, I'd, I'd love to come and do that. So jump on my website and you can check all that out there and shoot me an email. Friends, this is just, I love, I love my life and I love what I get to do. I go into schools and I say I'm a poet and they're like, why would you want to be a poet? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have the best life writing and creating and speaking and touring the world. And I have such an incredible life. And so much of my life is due like the heart of it, the best stuff of it is is the relationships that I have connected to people that have been born out of beautiful events and also through things like this podcast and, and the School for Creative Development we've been talking about throughout this. School for Creative Development is going to take a bit of a change over this next season. Basically, if you go to the website and check that out, I'll be talking about that. The next thing that we're going to go into will be a short course. And I think the short course is going to be the Creative Vocation uh, short course. And over a month period, Period, we're going to sink our teeth into creative vocation, business, career. So a few of the things we've touched a little bit on in this season in terms of marketing and things like that, we've kind of just 
brushed the edges of them. We're really going to sink our teeth into that. So if you're interested in that, um, please go to joelmacero.com and sign up to my newsletter and I'll let you know when you can sign up for that. That's going to be the next School for Creative Development thing. Really excited about that. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, check out all my stuff and please do sign up for my newsletter at joelmacero.com. Um, social media is pretty useless in terms of these days in terms of getting the word out there about stuff and the best way that you can hear about what's happening all the creative projects. I have so much coming up. My junior fiction graphic novel, The Urban Legend Hunters, is going to be released sometime uh, towards the end of the year or start of next year. So many things. I'm working on a new album with Rochelle Bourne. I didn't even say that. A whole new album we're bringing together. We just did a demo recording the other day. There is so much stuff for you to hear about. Sign up to www.joelmccarrow.com. This is the end of the season. You can tell because I'm blabbering, uh, but <laughs> now I need to let you get in to this episode uh, and enjoy the coming home experience. Thank you all so much, so, so much for listening. Home. Isn't she a beautiful thing to come home? I love when I get to come home after traveling. Like there's that feeling of entering your house once again and laying down on your own bed and being welcomed home. Like when we're at home and when, we, when we're struggling to be at home, like in the start of the season of the podcast and we wanted to go out and experience and go on adventures and find the journey. It's amazing. Like home can feel so stifling. And then when we've been out in these wide open spaces to come back to the small dwelling from where we have been to come back to home, it can feel so beautiful, can also still look so constricting and you can also feel so different. Again, you come back and you've changed and other people have changed, but you've changed in a very different way to what other people have. And the, like the creative journeys that you have gone on as you've, as you've surrendered and as you've traveled and met people, it's, it's done such amazing things in you and you've gone through such hard times and you come back and, and again, people are like, God, I don't get it. But I think that's always going to be the case. It's always going to be the case. But as long as we are willing to go on the journey still, to allow ourselves to be changed still, like, and I know hopefully what you've recognised through this time is I'm not just talking about going on an actual journey. All of this has been metaphor, friends. All of this has been metaphor for the inner journey, for the inner journeys that we go on in our creative life. If you didn't quite pick up that this was all metaphor and you just thought this was one big long what um, pitch for a travel agency, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. I'm not telling you that you need to leave home physically to go somewhere else to find yourself. I'm not telling you that because actually what what we recognised, hopefully what you recognised in this podcast when we found what we were looking for, when we came and did all the journeying and came to the heart of the cave, what did we find? ourselves, that we had been there all along. We cannot escape from ourselves. We don't need to leave to find ourselves, as in physically leave, as in go somewhere. We, these things can help, absolutely. But you work out for you, what does this metaphorical journey look like that we've been on for you? And now as we come home, in narrative structure, the the protagonist comes home and they come home changed. And if they're not changed, then it's a crap story. But we return home. The, the hero comes home. The heroine comes home. Um, we, we come home. And the question is, how are we going to do it well? What is this, this, this last part of the journey, this coming home? How are we going to do that well? Let's get into it. Just a few quick words from our sponsors. You know, I find myself often trying to work out what does it look like for me who grew up within 
Christianity within that conservative evangelical tradition and now still trying to hold on to um, to the, the good things within that and work my way forward and leave a lot of stuff behind. How the heck do I do that? Well, one of the people who speaks into this in such beautiful ways is Liz Mullaney with The Practice Co. Um, like literally these guys do daily kind of devotionals, reflections, meditations for you uh, that will help you on exactly that journey. So if that's you trying to walk that line, go to thepracticeco.com and get a hold of their stuff. At ACOM, the Australian College of Ministry, which you can do online studies within, uh, they've got a whole host, a whole suite of spirituality units, all of them focused about spiritual formation. My creativity and spirituality unit that I teach is within that, uh, but there's a whole lot of other things. And and really what the focus is on is how do we go from being who we are now to who we want to be? And how do we wrestle in that liminal space where we want to leave things behind and we don't know exactly yet the new thing that we're coming to, um, but what does what does spiritual formation look like, therefore, in, in our everyday lives? Um, how do we create patterns, rhythms of, of living uh, that will help us engage in our spiritual life. Go and have a look at their spirituality units at acom.edu.au. I'm sure you're going to find some amazing things that you would love to do. John Truby is this guy who's written lots of stuff around story. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Story that goes through a whole lot of the different um, different things that we've looked at, kind of the elements of story, etc. that we looked at a little bit throughout this season. Um, he writes this in kind of his ending chapter, which he calls The Never-Ending Story, The Never-Ending Story. Um, he says, A great story lives forever. This is not platitude or a tautology. A great story keeps on affecting the audience long after the first telling it is over. It literally keeps on telling itself. How is it possible for a great story to be a living thing that never dies? Well, you don't create a never-ending story just by making it so good it's unforgettable. You have to end it well. There are three major kinds of false endings. There's premature endings, arbitrary, and closed endings to a story. The premature ending can have many causes. One is an early self-revelation. Once your hero has his big insight, his development stops. Everything else is anticlimactic. A second is a desire the hero achieves too quickly. If you then give him a new desire, you've started a new story. A third cause of a premature ending is an action your hero takes that's not believable because it's not organic to that unique person, as in when you force your characters, especially your hero, to act in an unbelievable way. An arbitrary ending is one in which the story just stops. This is almost always a result of an inorganic plot. The plot is not tracking the development of one entity, whether it's a single main character or a unit of society. If nothing is developing, the audience has no sense of something coming to fruition or playing itself out. It's got to keep on developing, your character keep on developing. The most common false ending is the closed ending. The hero accomplishes his goals, gains a simple self-revelation, exists in a new equilibrium where everything is calm. All three of these structural elements give the audience the sense that the story is complete and the system has come to rest. But that's not true. Desire never stops. Equilibrium is temporary. The self-revelation is never simple. And it cannot guarantee the hero a satisfying life from that day forward. Since a great story is always a living thing, its ending is no more final and certain than any other part of the story. So how do you create this sense of a breathing, pulsing, ever-changing story, even when the last word has been read or the last image seen? We've got to go back to where we started to the essential characteristic of a story as a structure in time. It is an organic unit that develops over time and it must keep on developing even after the audience stops watching it. Since a story is always a whole and the organic end is found in the beginning, a great story always ends by signalling to the audience to go back to the beginning and experience it again. The story is an endless cycle. The story is an endless cycle. We go back to the beginning and experience it again. That's what makes an endless story. 
That's what makes a never-ending story a story that never leaves the heart of someone. You know those times when you've watched something or there's been few times in my life where I've read something. Um, There's two books, actually. There is The Book Thief uh, by Marcus Zusak and there is Pip Williams' The Dictionary of Lost Words. There are two books that I finished. I literally breathed (laughs) and I flipped back to the start because I needed to start it again. I needed to start it again. And so all this to say, when we on our, as we as these heroes turned guides, we, when we come home changed, our story doesn't stop. We start again. There'll be another thing that calls us to leave home once again. And of course, yes, we're speaking metaphorically again. I'm not talking about going on lots and lots and lots of world adventures, although you can do that if you want. What I'm talking about is we go on the creative journey we create our thing and we come back home, we bring it out into the world and we begin again and we begin again and we begin again and we begin again. And as we do this, we change on the way. We change on the way, but it's always going to be this, this beginning again, 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 again. See, part of ending well is beginning again well. Part of ending well is beginning again well. But recognising that things have changed as we do. Let me tell you the story of when I found home again in my spirituality after a long time of walking through the desert, um, after deconstruction or whatever you might want to call it, of me wrestling and doubting and struggling, of uh, this is how I found home again in my spirituality. It's taken from my book, Woven. The fireplace by whose light I write now is in the lounge room of the 500-year-old house where we're staying on the holy island of Lindisfarne where my wife has taken up a new hobby of knitting and we sit by the fireplace and she clicks needles together and I write out the stories and we both drink whiskey. Not a lot to do on a frozen island in the middle of winter. Been here a few months now and has soon to return to Australia. Sitting by the fireplace has become a favourite pastime, certainly one I can live with. Fireplace, a hearth, the heart of the home, holds a special sacredness and a deep presence and the whiskey helps too. We watch the flicker and I listen to the constant tick-tick of the needles as I think back to what has brought us to this place, to the journey I've been on, to who I am now. I think back over the last few years and I realise that what was once so disjointed and fractured, what was so many threads unravelled has slowly come together to find a new weave inside this life I call my own. It feels as though I've found my way home, not to the old home, I'm not at the doorstep of my parents or my old church's faith. The reality of my spirituality now looks far different to what it was once sculpted to be. Different but somehow the same, the same but somehow different. No, I didn't go back home, I found a new home. Or perhaps it was that a home somehow found me. Or perhaps what was actually occurring is that during my wandering, A home slowly grew on my back without my even realising. A snail shell to shelter my fragile being. A moving dwelling place. A home that was found in the walking, not in the arriving. For never do we fully arrive, but something had arrived in me. What had arrived was a knowing that I was home. And knowing that even in the midst of the wilderness, I could find a dwelling place. As tenuous as everything else might be, I could be in the midst of it all and still be okay. I could be at home in whatever circumstance and season a snail shell on my back. See, finding the place that we were meant to be is, it's not about finding like the season of perfect weather, though many think it must be. It's not about perfection outside or inside, rather, it's about knowing home regardless of winter cold or summer heat, regardless of the shedding leaves or the beginning of spring. It's, it's to not have to fight against, but to sit within. It's to not have to have it all together, but to know that we will never have it all together and that this is okay. It is a coming home to both the depth 
and the mess of who one truly is. No longer running from something, but running towards something. It is being called from ahead, not pushed from behind. And so where had this new home begun for me that I found? Well, it had been a few years earlier and I was walking by a river in a town called Warrandyte. At that time, I had lost much of myself. I knew the leaving of home. I had walked away from so much that had been, um, uh, so much constriction, and I had wandered and I had wandered and I had wandered, not really knowing what I was looking for. For a long time, there was just, just the distaste and the wandering. But as I walked along that river, I, I'd also begun to realise that there were some things that I could hold on to. Some things from the old home that I'd been brought up in that still held me in my wandering. And so I held on to those things and to the awakening parts of myself creative parts, hopeful parts, sacred parts. And then I met someone. I didn't meet them physically there in Warrandyte that day. I, well, I met a book that they had written. I met them through a book that they had written. An Irishman. See, beside the river by the main road was one of those second-hand bookstores filled with stacked books threatening to tumble down, a ramshackle building that was probably once someone's home, the fireplace still remained in the main room, the mantle covered with books. One of those ones you had to squeeze through shelves, trying not to knock any on the ground. On this day, as I walked past outside, I felt an intuitive whisper inside that I should go into the shop. I'd been learning to listen to these intuitive whispers since my teenage years, and sometimes I got them right and sometimes I got them very wrong. This day, I somehow knew that, well, I knew that there was an orange book in the shop waiting for me, as strange as that may sound. I knew it was in the back room and I knew that it was on the bottom shelf. I kid you not. I don't know how I knew those things. Some would say that God told me, some would say the prophetic, some would say intuition, I don't know. Some would say I'm just losing my mind. But the bell above me jingled as I walked through the shop. The lady at the counter looked up and smiled and I went through the front door without stopping. I walked all the way to the back. I looked down on my right in the back corner and there in this little bookstore by the river was the book with an orange cover. The one I'd known was there, though I didn't know what it was. What I didn't know was that for the next three years I'd carry that book around with me everywhere I went. What I didn't know was that it would be my dearest companion, tattered and scribbled and read and reread and reread and reread. I picked it up that day and immediately I brought it down and I went and sat by the river and I read it. I read it most of that afternoon. I couldn't put it down. The book was telling me who I was. And the book was Eternal Echoes, Celtic Reflections on Our Yearning to Belong by John O'Donoghue. I'd never heard of him before this day. He was a Celtic Catholic philosopher, poet, mystic, and, and that afternoon he changed my life and many, many afternoons since. He was a stranger who gave me a place to belong. Or better to say, he, he named the place I already belonged, but I hadn't known. He's a stranger who told me that I wasn't strange, a stranger who introduced me to what would become my home. John O'Donoghue has had more impact on my life, really, than any other writer. I devoured that first book. I bought everything else he'd written. I listened to his audiobooks, his interviews. I soaked myself in the thoughts of this mystic. And somewhere in the midst of those pages, in the lilt of his Irish accent, in his reflections on Celtic Christian spirituality, I found myself. I found my way home. I found the home where I belonged, where I always have belonged, but just didn't know it. John O'Donoghue expressed with profundity and eloquence so much of what I'd come to believe but had never had the words to express. He named and validated those things I was holding in my hands and his explorations into the Celtic and contemplative tradition, I found myself. I found myself. I found myself for I found my tradition, like a tradition, a tribe that could hold me. A tradition that didn't demand my adherence but rather invited me to name what was already taking shape within me. Tradition I could call home. A tradition which meant that once again I could call God home. I cried often that afternoon by the river as I read the words of this stranger. 
The intensity of knowing I'd been found was overwhelming, deep. Tears of recognition were shed. A man I'd never met and never would meet had shown me where I belonged. I just cannot even overstate the impact of this. I wasn't just a loner, a wayward heretic on a journey anymore. I was surrounded by those who have gone before me, a rich heritage stretching back through generations, back to St. Patrick and St. Columba, St. Bridget, St. Aidan. I read about these Celtic saints and the lives they lived and the myths they embodied. I went on and read more and more books about Celtic spirituality. I went on and read my own family history and it explains so much. And I, and I needed to see it, I needed to go there to the land of my ancestors, to the land of John O'Donoghue who had passed away about the same time I picked up that orange book of his on that day by the river. And so my wife and I left Australia and we travelled the world heading in the direction of Ireland and Scotland. We began in the United States and within the first few weeks of being there we were at a festival in North Carolina, the Wild Goose Festival. Wild Goose is a Celtic symbol for the Holy Spirit, untamed, uncontrolled, unexpected, one who brings disruption. It was somehow appropriate. And I'm there eating lunch at the festival and a grey-haired man is sitting beside me eating his meal. We exchanged pleasantries. He mumbled in a thick Scottish accent. So I leant in to make out his words. And then at some point in the conversation, I, I mentioned John O'Donoghue and I spoke of how much John's writings had changed my life and this great man stopped eating before me and he looked up at me, a tear in his eye, and he said, oh, John, he said, John was one of my dearest friends. <laughs> Needless to say, the conversation and the friendship grew from there. We were two strangers brought together around our common love for this man who had died only a few years before. So months later, my wife and I travelled to the coast of Ireland and, and we came to John's gravesite. I kneeled at his grave and as mist flowed down the Irish countryside all around, I read his poetry and I wrote my own and I thanked him and I wept the tears of someone who had come to know who he was by the writings of a stranger who was a stranger no longer, a friend who I'd never met, a home. He introduced me to a place that I could call home. From Ireland we travelled to Ayrshire in Scotland to the land of my ancestors. The first Macero registered there in 1530. We sailed by ferry from Ireland and when I saw the coast of Ayrshire where my people have lived for generations, I was completely overwhelmed. I broke down on the boat and I wept. It was as though I was being welcomed home to a place I had never known, as though the land remembered me. I cannot even describe the feeling. From Ayrshire we went down and we stayed with our friend that I had met at that festival. John's friend. He lived in a house by the sea. A man whose own contemplative lifestyle so beautifully reflected the heart of his old friend, John O'Donoghue. One night whilst we were there, he brought out all the home movies of the two of them going on pilgrimage around Ireland and we watched and we talked into the night of, of what John was like when the world wasn't watching, of who the man was behind the words that I'd read so many times. and. And I remember when we left his house to continue on our journey, he wrapped me in his arms and he looked at me with a deep fondness. As he said, Joel, I want you to know something. I want you to know that if John was still alive today, he would really love you. Oh, words can't even convey what this meant. <laughs> so from there, we made our way across the land to the Pilgrim's Way and onto this island where we've been living for the past few months, writing, knitting, drinking whiskey. This is the story of how we ended up here, by this fireplace on an island, but more so it's the story of how my life was woven back together. It's the story of finding a new home. Through it all, I've immersed myself in this new way. I've dived into this tradition and its understanding of life and God. And in this diving, I've found the snail shell of a home carried on my back, growing larger and larger and larger to encompass me. There is an expansive place of rest inside self-knowing. There truly is. This is the story of self-knowing. This is the story of being given a language, the story of being given a framework to hang my faith upon, the weave of my small story threaded into something larger, my individual self 
It's been threaded in with the world around me, with the sacred around me, with the land around me, with the people around me. This is the story of coming home, but to a home not as I knew it. A new home. Same, same, but different. I know that was a long story to share, but there's there's such profundity within the lessons that I had to learn about coming home for all of us on the journeys that we are on. And I don't I know some of you well, and I don't know many of you at all, but I know you've all been on a journey and you'll continue to go on those journeys and, and you'll continue to come home and to leave again and come home and leave again. But one of the big realizations is this, that wherever you are, what if, what if home actually went with you? What if home was on your back, a snail shell on your back, a dwelling place? What if you were able to find a place of belonging wherever you might be in this world, whatever you might be going through in your life? And so as you go on the creative journey, what if too? What if home always goes with you? What if you create out of a sense of belonging? You know, my journey, my kind of spiritual journey that I just talked about there of how I came back to home and came back in some sense to to faith, to, to who I am, to what my home looks like. I think it's an invitation for all of us on our creative journeys, on our life journeys, on your spiritual journey, on your relational journeys. What I, what I hope in reading that is, is you heard the invitation for you to... It was like the events, it was like, I can't even describe the, it was like life, God, the world, the universe wanted me to go on this journey to discover home, to not just wander aimless and cynical and bitter and, and, and broken like I was, but to find a place of belonging in my wandering. That's the invitation find a place of belonging in our wandering, a place of home, coming home, changed, different to a new home, carrying our home on our backs. All of these things is, is the discovery of, of home that comes at the end of the journey. That if we're going to go on the journey again, which we are, we talked about that, the never-ending story. We're going to go again and we're going to go again. The, the, the story has not ended. We continue on. I think actually next time we go, why don't you try to take home with you on your back? I wonder what that looks like for you. Stale you. Perhaps as you're engaging in the hardness of life and the chaos of life and the hardness of the creative journey and all that you're creating and seeking to do, perhaps when we have home on our back, when we can find that place of being settled in ourselves, then the wilderness doesn't have to be so scary and it doesn't have to hurt so badly. It doesn't have to crush us. But actually, we might know home, even out there amongst it all. So this uh, another story about home, uh, coming home that I'm sure you have heard or are familiar with, even if you haven't grown up in kind of Christian tradition. It's a, a Bible story um, called the Prodigal Son. The Prodigal Son is basically about this: uh, a kid asks his dad, or a kid who's probably old actually, asks his dad for his inheritance, like. Um, a, a massive stuff you to his dad, basically saying, wish you were dead. He, he, uh, just give me the money. He goes off and he spends all the inheritance. He ends up in poverty and um, eating eating pig's food. And he realizes he didn't have it so bad back home. And so he ends up coming back home and, and the dad sees him far off and runs to embrace him and calls everyone together to have a celebration. And and yet there's this older son who's who he's been out in the field working his ass off the whole time whilst his little brother had buggered off on his journey of adventure. And this old brother's like, he's pissed. And rightly so, you'd think, like, 
come on, he's toiled away whilst his brother's nicked off and had fun and now his dad wants to celebrate him, this young brother. Where the hell is his fattened calf? Why, why are we celebrating him? And most of the time we don't, like, in, when this story's told, we don't even talk about the older brother. When you hear out the story, it's... Let's think about him for a bit, though. Aside from the obvious father-son issues here in the story, um, <laughs> I, I do have sympathy for him. Like, I get it. And, and I think we need to get that there are going to be older brother figures in our lives when we have pursued something that's so different perhaps to the rest of our family when we've left home and gone on a journey and now come back. And you might feel misunderstood, but I think it's important to recognise that others might feel pretty darn pissed off, angry even, that we chose to leave. If they had not understood the reasons you felt you had to go on the journey in the first place especially, then they're going to feel abandoned by you, left behind, hurt. Like, I think what I'm saying is, again, we can talk, this is just a story, this is metaphorical. What I'm saying is relationships are hard. And if you come home, whatever that might look like metaphorically, and and you just think everyone's going to be happy about it, then you've got another thing coming. So what do you do? Well, how about you listen to those people too? Just like in the market, like we are talking about last week, you listen. And of course, there's going to be some relationships that you need to let go of that you might not be safe with. If you truly are changed as the main character has come back home, is changed, then maybe, maybe that change in you is enough for you to have a whole lot of grace for the people who haven't gone through such change. You're not better than them. They're just on a different journey to you. Us creatives have got to get off our high horse arrogance to think we're better than others. It's not us creatives and then all those other poor muggles. That's just entitlement and privilege. It's our ego speaking. Instead, let's serve and love where we can when we go home. Like, as we know, the best critique of the bad is a practice of the better. So you live out all that you've learned on this journey and maybe over time that, that very way you've changed, it might be the instigator for their own journey. As in what you bring home with you, it's a gift for the people. Not just the marketing gift and stuff that we talked about last week. It's, it's a, a gift for loved ones. And, and this gift, this giving, perhaps this is the journey you go on now. It, it truly is the recognising that actually who you are now, you are that guide the same guide that you needed when you started the journey, you are that for other people. Stephen Pressfield uh, talks about it in his book, The Artist's Journey. He says, he says this, I have a theory about the hero's journey. We all have one. We have many, in fact. But our primary hero's journey as artists is the passage we live out in real life before we find our calling. The hero's journey is the search for that calling. It's preparation. It's initiation or self-initiation. On our hero's journey, we see, we experience, we suffer, we learn. On our hero's journey, we acquire a history that is ours alone. It's a secret history, a private history, a personal history. No one has it but us. No one knows it but us. This secret history is the most valuable possession we hold or ever will hold. We will draw upon it for the rest of our creative lives. The hero's journey ends when, like Odysseus, we return home to Ithaca, to the place from which we started. We wash up on shore... We have survived. We've come home. Well, now what? The passage that comes next is the artist's journey. For the artist's journey comes after the hero's journey. Everything that has happened to us up to this point is rehearsal for us to act now as our true self and to find and speak in our true voice. The artist's journey is the process of self-discovery that follows. And it will last as long as we're alive 
and maybe even longer. In, in the mythology of the hero's journey, the hero at the conclusion of her ordeal returns home safely from her wanderings, but she doesn't arrive empty-handed. She returns with an elixir, a gift for the people. This gift is the product of the hero's solitary suffering. Or, let me, let me jump in here, remember we were talking about actually it doesn't have to be solitary suffering. The heroine's journey was a critique of that. But it's a product of going through those wrestles, those struggles. Sorry, I'm just, just stepping into Stephen Pressfield here. Back to it again. It may be wisdom or queenly commanded. It may come with fire or the sword driving out the evil forces that have infested the kingdom. Or it may come gently as poetry or music that heals and restores harmony to the land. You, the seeker, have at last returned home. You are an artist now, as you have always wished to be. So what gift do you bring for the people? That is what you will learn now on your artist journey. Really interesting reflection, hey? Interesting, fascinating reflection from Stephen Pressfield that actually the hero's journey is the, it's the self-journey that you go on. And now that you've come, you've gone through all that hard stuff and you've come to the mountain and the cave and you've come to yourself, you've come to that inner knowing, that midpoint realization, you come back home. And in the coming back home, now we're actually moving into the artist's journey because the artist's journey is how we take that and how we give this as a gift to the world around us. When we come home, our journey doesn't end. That's, that's what this whole episode is about. When we come home, our journey doesn't end. Once we have created one thing, we come home, we give it at the marketplace as we come, it changes us. And it changes all those around us. And we begin the journey again, a new journey, a different journey. And so friends, whatever, again, whatever this looks like for you, this metaphorical understanding of journey, bring it straight into your creative practice. That when you create something, you go on a journey with it. And it's hard and it's tough, but you bring something, there's some product at the end. And this is what you bring out to the world and hold out to the world. And as you're holding it out to the world, I think that is you coming home. Because you're coming to the, what you have to do when you hold it out to the world is you're coming back to the start again. Coming back to the reason why you started it in the first place. You're coming back and you're bringing it to the people. And then as you do that, then you, you slowly go on to the next thing and you begin the journey again and the next thing. And, this, and so you are, it's life, all of life and all of the creative process life and the creative practice life is a, is a leaving and going on the journey and coming home, is a leaving, going on the journey and coming home. And, and that sense that I said before of actually perhaps it's taking home with us on our backs. But all of it, all of it is an offering, I think, to find ourselves. Finally, to, to finish off this whole series, this whole season of the podcast, let me say, let me say a few words. Have you noticed that, that, that the start of every single episode of this podcast has been the, have you ever woken to find yourself in the desert, in a forest, in the ocean, whatever it might be. Every single episode of this season started with that. Have you ever awoken to find yourself? Did you hear that? Did you hear what they start with? It's not just have you ever awoken to find yourself in a forest on the ocean. Every single episode has started with these words. Have you ever awoken to find yourself? Two things that I've weaved in since the beginning. Waking up and finding yourself. Have you ever awoken to find yourself? That's what this whole series has been about. It's been about awakening waking up to who you actually already are, the finding of yourself, 
recognizing the place you are in and choosing a way forward. It's about awakening and finding yourself. Awakening and finding, awakening and finding, awakening in the shallows and finding a way forward out of the constriction of what has been. Awakening to the sound of that unfamiliar tune and finding where that invitation is leading, that call to adventure might be leading you. Awakening on the edge of choice and finding who you will be if you choose to leave with your pack on your back. It's awakening after you have made the choice to leave and finding your way through regret as you begin the journey and seek to walk forward away from what was. Awakening lost in a forest and then finding what the forest has to teach you. Awakening in the dried up desert and finding that you do have the resilience to make it through with the people who are by your side. Awakening in sanctuary and finding a rhythm of rest. Awakening to a tribe gathered around you and finding how you might best serve them. Awakening to success and finding a redefinition of that success. An awakening to the person who has been calling you forth all along and finding it is you and it is God and it is humanity and it is all woven together. It's an awakening in the reality of life down the mountain and finding your way through even there. It's an awakening to a world that has so many problems and finding that you might actually offer a way forward. It's an awakening to yourself as a guide for others. It's an awakening to realize that you have what others need because you have gone on that journey. This is what it is to find yourself. You are awakening now to the reality of life, of your life, of all that it looks like right now. And you will find a way forward to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next adventure and the next journey and the next journey. And it will be an inside journey because it always is and it will change you and it will mold you and it will shape you. This journey we are each on, the path that we walk, the way forward, it's already in you. It is you. So awaken to it. Awaken to yourself. Find yourself and then go out and help others to do the same. And friends, know that I'll see you there on the journey. And sometimes I'll give you a map and I might say, have you tried Southeast? And, and sometimes I hope that you might give me a compass and say, hey, Joel, have you tried Northwest this time? And we'll go at it together. Sometimes we'll go at it alone. But I'll see you there somewhere on the path Please wave at me as you go past or journey with me for a time. Either way, fellow pilgrim, come on, fellow traveller, let's do this thing. This journey is made one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. It is the only way that we do this. As Tolkien wrote, as the final verse of The Road Goes Ever On. The road goes ever on and on, out from the door where it began. And now far ahead the road has gone. Let others follow it who can. Let them a journey new begin. But I at last with weary feet Turn towards the lighted inn, my evening rest, and sleep to meet. Friends, go well on your journeys. This has been the Deep Place Podcast, Season 3. Thanks so much for going on the creative journey with me. Yeah.